Welcome to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge, the fiercely nonpartisan discussion that seeks policy solutions to issues of the day. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. Hello and welcome to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge. I'm your host, Rich Helpy. Today, we've got a great guest. We have Westland, Michigan Mayor Bill Wild. Uh, he has a great background, and he's right in the thick of things with local governing. Mayor Wild is going to share with us today his view from the mayor's desk. Please register at richardhelpy.com, free. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast channel, including Apple, Amazon, Buzzsprout, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And of course, follow us, YouTube TV, Richard Helpy, Common Bridge. And of course, we're on Twitter and most of the major social media outlets. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Mr. Wild here has been mayor of Westland, Michigan, and he's going to tell us a lot about what the cities are looking at. And he's got not only a local view, but also he serves as the Michigan ambassador, a member of the Transportation and Communications Committee, a member of the United States Conference of Mayors, and he's president of the Michigan Municipal League, and he's current chairman of the Conference of Western Wayne, current co-chair of the Southeast Michigan Council of Government's Economic Development Task Force, and he's serving his third term on the board of directors for the Michigan Municipal Risk Management Authority. So, Bill, I, I appreciate with everything you've got going that you're taking a little time, so it's good to see you. How are you today? You know, it, it's good to see you too, Rich, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad to be on your show today. I'm excited to uh, to talk a little bit about uh, uh, the life of a mayor here with uh, your listeners today. So I'm, I'm glad to be here, and it's nice to see you again. Great. Bill, let's tell our listeners a little bit about you. What were some of your early days like? Where did you grow up? What did you do before you entered public service? And and maybe a little snapshot. You've got quite the track record in public service as well. Well, well, thank you, Rich. So, so I, I grew up here in Westland. Uh, when I was born, uh, my parents lived in uh, what we call the historic Norwayne district. And uh, uh, after I was born, we moved to the city of Wayne, just south of us, and then moved back to Westland. I've been here ever since. I went through the Wayne Westland School District and my wife and I both graduated from John Glenn High School, and um, after uh, high school, I, I did a couple years of college working on uh, uh, working towards a business degree, and then I had a chance to uh, go into business. My dad was in the uh, auto recycling business and gave me an opportunity to, to start up a, a business in the city of Wayne, and we did that back in 1988. Uh, wow. I ended up selling it uh, about two years ago, and so I've got 30 years' experience uh as a small business owner and I came into the mayor's office. Actually, I had my, my time here in the city of Westland, I got about 20 years local government experience. I, I served for two years on the planning commission and six years on the city council. And I've served the last 14 as Westland's full-time mayor. So, um, you know, fast forward today, I, I probably never thought when I was back at John Glenn, Rich, that uh, one day I'd be the mayor of our city, but it's been, uh, it's, it's truly been the honor of my lifetime. 
Well, I know you're a dedicated and hardworking public servant. Always the citizens of Westland and the citizens of the region foremost on your mind. And, you know, frankly, one of the most practical people I know about how to get things done which is often difficult with the machinery of government and and oftentimes in municipalities just have to react to what the feds and the state governments do. So, Bill, let's dive right into it. We have a long list of things we could talk about, public safety, economic development, the environment, education, broadband. When you roll out in the morning, what's preeminent on your mind as you begin your day serving the city residents of Westland, Michigan's 10th largest city? And of supporting those in the region. You know, so I, I tell people every day that Westland is, uh, we're 85,000 people, we're the 10th largest city. So we're just big enough that something happens every day and sometimes <laughs> something happens every night. So uh, a lot of times in the morning, we're uh, spending some time real quick on uh, some things that may have happened overnight. But, um, you know, I, I've got a, a great team here at Westland and, and we, my, my department heads know that, um, we're full speed ahead at any time. And, and I like to keep them guessing. They have no idea when they come to work, what the mayor is going to care about that day. And um, <laughs> maybe something I saw on the way to work and maybe an email I got or something, but um, you know, so basically Richard for, you know, for the last uh, since March of 2020, uh, you know, the, the pandemic has, has taken the forefront. And, and uh, so we, you know, I don't, I don't think any, local government in the country was prepared for what was coming next. But, you know, we've managed through that and, and we we've, we've, were able to do that, you know, with very little uh, loss in service to our residents. And, uh, you know, we, we've come through that and now we're trying to make up for any lost time that we had. And, uh, you know, we, we're really working with our local business community to, to try to help them uh, get back on their feet from, from this pandemic. So, uh, in the world of mayor, the thing I like about it the best is I may have 14 meetings today and all 14 meetings may be on totally different topics. But that's what I like. I like uh, I like to work on a lot of things and um, uh, I really enjoy the work. Well, that, that's competent executive leadership. And I think you've been providing that. Well, let's start in public health. We spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the structure of healthcare. We've talked about the holes in public health. We've talked about the lack of good mental health, you know, behavioral health services. And, and in your long arc of government, is this issue becoming better managed, um, managed not as well, or just changed and, and you know, it's equally difficult? Talk to us a little bit about, especially in the pandemic, what did you find that was working and what did you find that, that wasn't working? Well, I, I think early on, um, it, it took a while for, for all the different agencies to, uh, to, to really shift in the gear and communication was, was pretty tough in the beginning, uh, trying to coordinate at the local level. We depend on the Wayne County Health Department, you know, the, the county health department, which depends on the state, which depends on the federal government. So in the beginning, the, there was, there was a lot of chaos there and a lot of mixed messages, but, um, I think coming through this, uh, at least on the health side of it, that I think all of our county uh, health departments are, are probably uh, th- this was a wake up call for them. And I think that if they had talent, they, if they didn't have talent in those positions, the counties felt it pretty quick. So I think that uh, this pandemic was a real wake up call for the county health departments and and, and certainly the state too. Um, probably the in Westland, we don't have a hospital in Westland, so I have to depend on. 
uh, three different uh, health agencies around us. And, and fortunately, I have good relationships with them and uh, we leaned on them as well. But probably the one thing that I've seen change the most in my time in office is um, still is, is, is mental health. And, um, you know, especially, uh, you know, here in Michigan, you know, when they closed the, the mental health hospitals, you know, typically people that were suffering ended up in jails and then the jails, the jails weren't prepared for that. And then during the pandemic, they emptied out the jails. So, um, you know, at the local level, they really kind of a lot of our mental health issues are falling on, you know, my, my police department and my fire department. And so uh, that's an area that definitely um, needs a lot of work and we're not there yet. And, and you, you have to that's an area that affects just about every family in one way or another. And, and, and you have to be compassionate about it. And uh, so that's an area that, that we spend a lot of time on that, you know, perhaps early in my term, uh, we, di- we, we didn't spend as much time on. When, when you think about those public health matters, and, and I know you, the dust hasn't quite settled yet, but, but behavioral health services, things like vaccinations, things like protecting the population, if you were going to, and I know that you do advise both the governor and the county executives and, and perhaps the president as well, what kind of things do you tell them? Here's look, look, here's what we need at the municipal level that, that perhaps they have the budget and the legal authority to provide. You know, that, that is a great question because uh, at the end of the day, we are the front lines. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if what, what we were saying, uh, you know, not only as Mayor Westland, but, you know, through some of my work as the Conference of Mayors was, you know, in the beginning when uh, there was a scarcity on vaccinations, the way that it was set up was that those vaccinations were going to go to the states and then it was up to the states to, to distribute them. And they didn't have the wherewithal. So we were we were saying, get the vaccinations to the front line. And we had mayors all across the country that, that were willing to turn their city halls into vaccination sites and use our firefighters and and stuff to do that. So that's where the... the you know, the metal meets the road. And um, so I think you get caught up in the bureaucracy of trying to, you know, send resources from the federal government to the state government. And what we saw was that, you know, that was politicized. You know, the the uh, the vaccination distribution became highly uh, uh, partisan and, and, and the effect of that was really felt here on the ground. So, um, you know, we, we still have my ice arena in the city of Westland as a vaccination event. And Fortunately, the, the flow of traffic is going down because we're, we're doing a better job of getting people vaccinated that want to be. But, um, you know, that, that's that's the thing I probably advocate the most for my other hats is that get those resources, to, you know, to the cities where the, where the mayors can uh, can get it in the road quicker. Well, that's a, a great job opening up that hockey rink. And I'm sure you want to make sure that everybody gets vaccinated because I know you're an avid hockey player. And uh, you want to get back on the ice uh, probably in, I don't know, about six or eight <laughs> weeks from now, would be my guess. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right about that. So I'm hoping we wrap things up and get the ice back in there quick. Absolutely. Good. That sounds like good. So look, that kind of morphs off into public safety. You know, there's been a national debate about policing and what makes effective policing. And, you know, is the police officer's job well-designed? Is it too much job for one person? You're, you know, mental health counselor. One day you're looking for a lost pet. You're at a domestic disturbance, and then at any time you have to shift into warrior mode. And you have a diverse community. What are 
some of the challenges facing you today in terms of public safety and particularly in the police department? Well, it, it's it's definitely changing, and Westland's trying to uh, you know be a leader in that area. As we you know not only in our community, but as you said, Richard, nationwide, you know our country is reimagining what police work looks like, and you know the 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 difficult part with that is a couple the several areas are difficult. Number one is the the community um, expects you and, and and wants and deserves that you. Uh, hire a public safety force that's reflective of the community. And that's that's extremely challenging because uh, this is a field that fewer and fewer people are, are applying for. And um, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, communities all across Michigan, all across the, the nation are, are also uh, trying to diversify their departments. So the, um, the limited candidates to start with, and then if there's any uh, uh, candidates within that pool that um, fit the diversity that the communities are looking for, it's even more competitive. Um, but, you know, we, we, we live in a world now that we ask our police officers to, to do so many different things. I mean, you know, we talked about mental health earlier and, you know, I, I remember that, you know, we, we, we trained our fire or police officers and firefighters before on, you know, sexual harassment. And then uh, we, we, we trained them on uh, diversity and now we're, we're training them on mental health. And uh, now we have, we're training some of our folks to train the rest of our folks on, on how to um, interact with, with those with autism. And, and the, the list goes on and on. And um, our officers are up for it, but it's changing and it's demanding and the, the pay and the pension and the benefits and stuff aren't quite what they were before. And the expectation levels and the the uh, you know the zero tolerance level there is now for for making a, a mistake, so it, it, it's really tough. We've I think in Western Wayne County where we're at, I think we've been a leader. We've uh, created a transparency page on our website now that that breaks down all of our citation arrests by uh, gender and ethnicity and age and, and what they were for, and um, that's updated twice daily. And we have that out there, and there were people that didn't feel comfortable with that. But I, I wanted people to understand is that if you see something there, you think we need to do better at, we want you to tell us because uh, we, it's easy for us to think we're doing a good job, but if the public doesn't agree with us, uh, we need to know that. So, um, you know, we have body cameras on our officers now and um, we're working uh, to bring in uh, a social worker through a contract to, to work with us. We've just hired a domestic uh, violence advocate to work with our force um, we're talking and now with the city council about creating a citizens advisory board. So um, policing is changing and uh, um, we're, we're changing with it. We're trying to be a leader in that space. And uh, it all comes down to your, your police chief. And we have a great police chief that that totally understands what we're trying to do. And he wants to be a leader in it. And uh, one of the things I've learned, Richard, is that on issues like this, if, if we're committed to it, there cannot be any space between the mayor and the police chief on this. They have to be 100 uh, percent tied on, you know, together so that when there are there is an issue, we, we move through it together and keep uh, progress being made. Well, I think that last point is so accurate. We spoke with Sheriff Jerry Clayton on one of our earlier episodes, and he spoke about the split between the police chief and the mayor in the city of Seattle that led to her resigning as police chief. And then 
we have right down the road from you a great example of a mayor in Mayor Duggan of Detroit and Police Chief James Craig, I think, doing an exemplary job during very challenging time. And I'm, I'm really pleased all the things that you've just so matter-of-factly mentioned. You're giving your citizens data about the interactions with police, bringing in the social worker, the level of training. There's a lot of good things happening, and it really stands in sharp contrast to a lot of the yelling that we see on various cable and broadcast news channels, and of course, from those that we've elected, sent to Washington, and it may be a little bit to Lansing. So I hope that mayors around the country are doing what you're doing, and I hope people listening to this broadcast will understand that things can and are getting done on a local level. But but Bill, look, it takes resources. And, and you know, you mentioned pension, and I know I've spoken with other mayors, and they say, look, we would love to fund the recreation department more. We'd like to do more about the streets, but so much of our budget is really pre-spent on pension obligations. Can you tell us, like, what is Westland facing in terms of those kind of budget pressures? And if you know, what might other mayors around the country be dealing with in terms of having the resources to execute as you've been doing? That's the really difficult part because uh, I think in local government, we've been working in a space of scarcity for a long time and uh, with the expectations that we're going to cut our way to prosperity. Um, you know, wow. the, these, uh, these, the, these pension costs, you know, when, when I came in Westland, I, when I, when I came in, we're almost a 50 year old city. Um, when I came in, we had more retirees than we had active workers. And, um, you know, my, in my first term, I had to spend a lot of time coming out of the recession working on, uh, you know, just, just dealing with uh, less revenue to keep services going. Uh, my second term, I spent a lot of time working on our city assets. Then my third term, I, my focus was on our, on our unfunded legacy costs, which were our pension plans. And uh, we call it OPEB, which is our uh, retirement health care. Um, so while resources, you know, we, we, we were able to be in a better financial place where we could start making additional payments into the pension plan, but um, I just really couldn't make any, any headway on it. Uh, we have two pension plans. One is for my general employees, and, and up until recently, we were 40% funded, and we also have a police and fire millage. Uh, we have a police and fire pension. Back when we created our city, they, they put a millage in place to fund that. Uh, and that's currently somewhere between 70 and 80%. But there's a dedicated millage, so so that fund is is in good shape. The, the other one, that 40% one, was the one that, that we've been trying to figure out, how can we make some some headway on it? We've seen communities around us that, that could not make the required annual payments, and uh, the pension plans would get court orders to uh, just, just take those payments and put it on the, the tax bills and um, we didn't want to do that. Um, so what, what we did is we actually, during COVID, we, we took advantage of uh, the low interest rates. And, and Westland doesn't have a lot of long-term debt. So we sat down with our bond people and we actually were able to bond out our pension obligation. Uh, we're, we did a 20-year bond. Um, we Our interest rate on this, you'll like this, Richard, we, we did it 2.39% nice. for the next 20 years, which will take us to... 95% funded in 20 years, my annual payments on this pension plan are actually less than what my pay-as-you-go number was 
previous to this. So over the, the course of this 20 year bond, uh, I'm going to save a, close to $80 million in cash flow. So um, th- that's, wow. that was something that, that we did. It requires that you have to have the blessing from in Michigan, from the treasury department. Uh, we had a strong bond rating. Uh, we had, you know, very little long-term debt and we were able to put that together and, uh, we, we also recently just uh, refinanced a bond that we used to build our new city hall in Westland. And when I floated that bond, it was actually the day it hit the market was the, the day after the city of Detroit declared bankruptcy. Oh, no. <laughs> and nobody was buying municipal bonds that day. <laughs> so we, we, we locked in a, a deal, but I, my interest rate was uh, in the high fives. Um, we actually, we had 13 years left on that. We refinanced that a couple weeks ago uh, for the remaining, I think it was 12 years at 2%. So we saved uh, a couple million bucks in the uh, the debt load there too. So I guess you have to be creative. Uh, if, if your mindset is that, well, we don't have any money, we can't do anything. Um, it's not, it's not going to get you out of that hole. So and the other side too, is that we quit digging the hole. So we, we made uh, you know, that pension plan that I've talked about, it's closed now. So we're not going to be digging that hole deeper as we move forward. And so um, it's a lot of work. I guess it takes time for you to uh, to understand the job. You know, the, the thing I'm just talking about, I wasn't able to accomplish until my third term. So I think you have to feel uh, comfortable with yourself. You have to understand, you know, how, how the job works. And um, so, but it's worked out well for us and uh, our residents don't react to that. If I say we're going to build a new dog park, everybody goes crazy and they want to have a party. When we say we refinance that bond debt, you know, sometimes we have to pat ourselves on the back because no one really understands what we just did. Well, what I love about your discussion on this is you've been through the Great Recession and you managed your city through it. We run into a pandemic. You have the experience. Okay, what did we learn last time? And, you know, I don't want to get into the weeds, but when I kind of look at people talking about term limits, I'm thinking, you know what, we're giving up a lot of that institutional knowledge. And, you know, if, you know, voters want to return, you know, a senator, a congressional representative, uh, a mayor to the office because they like the job they're doing, to me, that's fine. That's the term limit. The ultimate term limit is what happens at the ballot box. And this level of competence in managing the public sector is something that most people aren't aware of. And, you know, they all want to say that they want to challenge City Hall or the state capitol or the federal government in a legal way. Okay, now I'm not talking about the, you know, the nutcases trying to invade the places or anything like that. So, Bill, you know, you mentioned that you came out of the Great Recession and now we're coming out of the stay-at-home orders and the business shutdown orders that really locked down Michigan society very, very violently. And now we're coming out. What's going on with the business community and with economic development? And I know there's labor issues. And also, you've done a great job at repurposing some of your buildings and such. So what's what does it look like right now on the economic front? Well, we are starting to see our, our businesses uh, start back up in, in our restaurants. Uh, for the most part, most of them survived through the, uh, the the pandemic. I mean, we we although we lost some national chains that that surprised me. I thought that they would have the wherewithal to pull through. Um, right now, it's all about trying to get employees. Um, no matter which business owner in town I talk to, 
Um, they just they just can't hire people, um, and and they're not in a position to fire bad employees either because they they can't they got to have people and you know some of our restaurants uh, are are going to remain at fifty percent capacity because that's all that they can serve at this point. Um, so we're we're going to do everything we can. Uh, Westland received a, a couple million dollars of uh, the federal CARES Act dollars. Uh, Westlands, uh, we're they call us an entitlement city, which means we're over fifty thousand, and so we get a direct allocation from HUD uh, annually. Uh, but this was money that came through the CARES Act. Uh, we we use that money to uh, you know to, to keep people in their homes and help them with their uh, their mortgage payments. Uh, we 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 helped uh, you know keep people off the streets, but we, we took a big portion of that money and we, we did uh, micro grants for our local businesses and um, why we weren't able to uh, com- you know, compete with the federal government with PPP, but we, uh, we actually helped, uh, we, we put money in probably about 80 different businesses, uh, you know, and, and some people, it, it just helped them, uh, you know, keep the lights on, helped them uh, make payroll for a couple more weeks. Um, so, you know, one of the things that that, you know, I talked about my different terms. My, I'm up for election this year, Richard, and, and if I'm successful, my fourth term is going to be totally different than any other term I've had because Westland was just allocated $26 million from the American Repo- Recovery Plan. So for the first time that I've been in office, you know, we're going to be talking about uh, investing money as opposed to uh, trying to, to cut our way to prosperity um, so we're, we're looking at how we can use that money to um, certainly number one is to continue to fight in the pandemic. Um, it is going to give us the opportunity to uh, replace uh, unrealized revenue over the next couple of years. But uh, the, the third part and the part that myself and probably mayors all across the country are so excited about is uh, is using those funds to build a foundation for a stronger uh, economic recovery and so we're going to we're going to take a, our time we have until 2024 to allocate the dollars uh, 2026 to spend them is so I'm going to try to figure out what type of transformational investments can we do in our community um, to help us uh you know not only get past the pandemic but actually to build a stronger future and I know I don't have to tell you but Westland was was named after a regional shopping mall and yeah. regional shopping malls are uh, dinosaurs in today's uh environment so we've got a lot of work to do in Westland to diversify away from retail and uh, we're going to try to use some of these funds to help us uh, accomplish that. And I know that you want your citizens to get back to work and I know there's sometimes some disincentives and I'm hoping we'll get a clever government solution to you know, allowing people to keep the bolus that perhaps they got during the pandemic, but also to get back to work so that businesses do have employees. And, you know, there's a there's a benefit in work. And we saw, you know, some of the despair when, you know, the people were paid for not working back in some of the automotive contracts. So, you know, giving people gainful employment where they can support their families is really the, the end game. And I, I hope that you know, at the local level and perhaps was supported by the state that we can get there. Bill, what about things like on the infrastructure front and, you know, roads, bridges, and and particularly access to broadband, that one of the things that I, I think we've all observed during the pandemic is that there were those that could get on the net and work or perhaps, you know, interact with their families and shop and such, 
And then there were those that were isolated because they didn't have good broadband. What's going on in the city of Westland and what's going on with other municipalities in terms of infrastructure? Well, the infrastructure is, you know, why we've made progress on our unfunded liabilities on, on pension and, and retirement health care. We have an equally unfunded uh, liability with the city's infrastructure. Um, so we're we're going to continue to try to invest in it as we go. Um, I'm, I'm watching almost daily is uh, at the national level as they're trying to, you know, see if they can agree on an infrastructure bill. Um, one of the things that, that worries me about the national infrastructure bills are, as mayors, I think of infrastructure as the things that you can see, you know, the roads and the bridges, and, and I can see the potholes. And um, at the national level, infrastructure gets a little more uh, broad as you start to bring on uh, ports and tunnels and uh, transit and, uh, and and some of the other uh, new uh, infrastructure things that are being introduced in the conversation. I'll leave it at that. But Broadband is something that is important, and it's it's not as in a city like Westland, which is uh, pretty developed. We're a bedroom community. We're serviced by you know three different broadband uh, um, companies, and a fourth one is putting uh, you know wire in the ground as we speak. Um, but when I put on my hat as Michigan Municipal League president, I can tell you that all across Michigan is that communities aren't as fortunate as Westland. Uh, there's uh, when when you get into uh, you know the the middle of the state and you get over towards the west side and even in the UP uh, there, there there aren't private carriers because there just aren't enough customers to yeah. to justify you know the infrastructure there. So I know that that's something that um you know as a country if we're going to compete with uh, with China at the national level we're we're going to have to solve that problem and. Using this federal money, you know, this infrastructure is almost that that once in a generation time to actually uh, to do that. So I know I, I had a conversation with with the governor on this, and and one of the things that she told me was that she had no idea how important broadband was to farmers, and there was a lot of different reasons for that. But you know, they're in that part of the the state that that doesn't have the infrastructure that 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 we take for granted, maybe in Southeast Michigan. But, um, you know, as, as we try to, you know, in the city of Detroit, one of Mayor Duggan's big issues, he's trying to, you know, to solve intergenerational poverty. And, uh, you know, access to broadband is one of the ways that he's committed to doing it. And, and it's something that, that's needed and wanted. And um, so uh, I think with this new federal money coming down on infrastructure, the more that we can keep it towards traditional infrastructure and, and broadband, I think that uh, the better we'll be as a, as a nation. You know, look, I, I'm in strong agreement. And, you know, generation earlier, we decided that we should have telephone service. So there was a, you know, basic universal telephone service for everybody. You know, prior to that, we had rural electrification. And I think broadband is there. And that plays right over to education. And you've got a, a developing workforce there with education. You've got several school systems that service Westland, uh, and I believe some private schools. From the mayor's seat, and to the extent that you can speak about what the uh, mayors around the country are thinking about, what's on your mind for education, and what kind of things can we expect to move forward on? 
You know, some some mayors have control over their school districts, and but but most of them don't. But when you, when I when I talk with mayors at the national level, uh, one of the things that they're trying to do is bridge that that gap between uh, you know skilled trades and, and that, that that workforce that just isn't there. And um, you know, we're seeing the disparity where you know. Uh, students that are going to college are coming out of college with high debt loads in, but there's still this other group of uh, students that, that, you know, there's this opportunity there. So I think that all across the country, you're hearing mayors talk more about uh, stepping in and, and trying to create those relationships and, uh, and, and connect, you know, the, the, the skilled trades opportunity and manufacturing and, you know, even building trades and, and plumbing and heating and cooling. And there, there's just a lot of opportunity at, I'm super excited about the city of Westland's opportunity to work with uh, the Wayne Westland School District. They have a career technical center that, in my humble opinion, has always been underutilized. Uh, the new superintendent, this is this is his uh, it, it's his sweet spot. So I think that uh, there's going to be a great opportunity locally here for for me to work with uh, the school district to uh, try to. Um, you know, create these different pathways for our for our students in, in the Wayne Westland area, uh, help out the local manufacturers. I mean, we depend on, you know, Ford, GM and Chrysler still in this area and they can't get they can't get skilled trades either. And all across America right now, there's a housing boom and, uh, you know, they, they can't get skilled tradesmen. So there, there's a great opportunity Um Earlier in my, my term, I think a lot of people, you know, they tell you in politics is, uh, you know, if you don't control the schools, you know, don't get too close because you'll get burned. But um, I, I've learned now that um, we talked about the relationship between the police chief and the mayor earlier. I think it's just as equally important to have that same relationship between the mayor and the superintendent of the school districts, because really we're all we're all in it together. The schools feed the city, the city feeds the schools. So. Um, I'm excited about uh, the next couple of years working with our local superintendent on that issue. And, you know, my passion for education to give all these kids a chance, you know, they all need to have, you know, foundational skills, reading comprehension, mathematics, physics, sciences, because the industries they're going to work in haven't been invented yet, much less the companies, much less the jobs themselves. And the critical shortage of skilled labor and you know, folks can make a really good living if they know how to deal with uh, heating and cooling systems, if they know how to do plumbing, electrical work, carpentry. And that leads us to some of the pressures we're seeing now on housing and housing affordability. Does much of that transcend to the local level about making sure the housing stock is good? You know, absolutely. Uh, you know, the property values, it, it, at the end of the day, I know in my heart that People in res in Westland, they want their trash picked up in the, in the streetlights to work. But at the end of the day, they want their property values to go up. They 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 want to protect them. I mean, in a lot of cases, that's that's the homeowner's biggest investment. And the schools are, you know, I know I don't have to tell you this. You know, realtors, uh, they people they they want to go where there's good schools. Yes, and uh, it, it's good for property values and it creates community uh, wealth. And um, so. It goes hand in hand. Uh, sometimes it, it 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 amazes me how easily that is forgotten, and and that those bridges uh, go in different directions. But uh, it goes hand in hand. In Westland, 
Richard, one of my biggest challenges is Westland uh, started off as a bedroom community, um, you know, which means there were just lots of rooftops. And, and back uh, when Detroit was the was the the main metro, you know, they they built suburbs for for the workers of Detroit to live in. Um, when Detroit suffered, they recreated all the, the the things in the Detroit area back in the suburbs. You know, shopping and dining and entertainment all came to the suburbs. And we built communities around it. But now that Detroit is coming back and it's coming back fast, you know, people are going to go to Detroit for those options. So a city like Westland, we have to get back in the bedroom community business. And what that means, we have to be a great place to live. We have to be, have great schools and we have to have good, strong infrastructure, parks and recreation, public safety. So that's going to be our focus moving forward is, is uh, really trying to create that that place you want to live, work, and play. And, and the biggest part of that is you have to have uh, the school districts to, to support that. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great view. And Detroit was doing so well pre-pandemic. A lot of credit, I guess, to Dan Gilbert and what he did aggressively, Roger Penske. And then, you know, Mike Duggan knows how to run a government and he gets stuff done. Just a very practical guy. And, you know, they, they got public safety. Uh, they're still challenged on the school system, uh, of course. Bill, this has been a a, a really good conversation, and I, I'm just wondering what didn't we talk about that perhaps we should be discussing? Things that are maybe on your mind. You know, we've covered a lot of ground, which I appreciate. Um, you know, uh, one of the, th- I guess maybe one of the things that I've been spending some time on lately is that. Um, you know, I've, I've become one of the more tenured mayors uh, in our area. And, and so I've been spending a lot of time with uh, some of the, the, the newer mayors in our surrounding communities and trying to share some of the things I've learned over my time. Um, you know, at, at, the, at the national level, at the Conference of Mayors, I remember going to those meetings and I felt like I was in mayor's college. I was just mm-hmm. soaking it all up, learning so much. Uh, you know, now when I go to those those conferences, I'm, I'm I'm proud because now I'm a presenter and I'm sharing our, the things that we've done. So, you know, I, I think that in local government is that um, we talked about earlier is when we, we lose that institutional knowledge. Uh, it's happening everywhere. And, um, you know, being in public life now is, is tough. It's tough on, uh, you know, the individual, but it's tough on your family. And uh, social media has just, uh, you know, it's turned into a, a place to, to really um, be cruel sometimes to public officials. So um, we're losing a lot of good public officials and, uh, you know, our city councils are changing. And when you lose institutional knowledge at the city council level, uh, that affects uh, local government uh, just as much. And, you know, we're, we're having a hard time uh, hiring at, you know, this level, uh, you know, with department heads, uh, you know, we're, we're competing. The private sector can, can outpay us now on for talent and a lot of the knowledge that, that our department heads learn at the local level, you know, it translate well, it translates uh, well into the, the private sector. So um, our challenges don't stop. But um, at the end of the day, um, um, I feel real good about where our community is, where we're going and uh, we're. We're certainly not perfect, but we know that um, that if, if we do make mistakes, we make it right and then we get right back on the track and keep moving forward. So, um, you know, I, I feel real good about uh, where we're at. I, I'm real excited about this this opportunity with the federal money coming in. And I know that a lot of people uh, 
you know, maybe on one side of the, the table, didn't really like the money going to the local governments. They thought it was a buyout or a, or a payoff or, um, but I can tell you at the local level, um, you know, we've endured a lot I mean, and we're, we've been through population decline here in Michigan. Uh, some mayors are dealing with, uh, you know, once in a lifetime flooding and we have infrastructure issues, uh, epidemics. We haven't talked about opioids. That's, that's a major problem in every community. Um, and, you know, with the pandemic, I mean, the, the challenges are, are real. And um, so with this federal money coming in, I think that uh, mayors are, are going to really try to utilize that money. And, and every almost every conversation I'm part of, I keep hearing the word transformational. So I think everybody's going to be challenging each other to, to try to utilize these funds a little bit better than, than the next mayor. So it should be an exciting time for local governments and communities over the next couple of years. Exciting and challenging. And of course, as you touched on the misinformation and disinformation, that's the peril of social media. Of course, the promise of social media is that, you know, some of the collaboration that you talked about, that I know that in my growing up, there was kind of a unified front with the school systems and the local governments and the police departments, the courts and the like, and you kind of did the right thing by people. It wasn't this agency's problem or that government's problem. It was like, look, where can we lean in to meet the challenges of the day? And I just have a sense that you're working tirelessly to get us there. Mayor Wild, you've been very, very generous with your time today and really grateful for this. I know that our listeners are going to enjoy this education and this perspective. Any closing thoughts that you've got for the listeners and the viewers of The Common Bridge today? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be on today, and, and I appreciate uh, uh, the work that you do, Richard. And, um, you know, I, I would just say that, uh, you know, local government is, and, and mayors, you know, they're they're pragmatic by nature, and, and, and I think that they're getting things done. I, I, I'm excited that, that the mayor's, have been at the table with uh, the current administration, uh, whether you support them or you don't. I can tell you, as mayors, we've been at the table for the, you know, the American Recovery Act and, and, and Treasury is meeting with us to, to try to utilize these funds. And so for the first time uh, in a long time, you know, mayors are actually at the table. And you, you, you'd mentioned that, you know, Mayor Doug, and he gets things done. And, and I see that all across the country with mayors, that if there's a problem, you know, if you connect the mayor that you can, uh, you know, that that's how you can get solutions. And, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm criticized a little bit that I've, that I've got too many hats on. But what I tell people is that look at all those tables that the city of Westland is at the table at now. You know, we were never at the tables, the regional and state and national level that we are now. So and by being at the table, uh, we're, we're, we're learning more. We're bringing resources back. We're making relationships that um, that are, you know, just you know, so helpful in so many different ways. A city like Westland and a lot of communities, you know, they, they, they can't survive on an island by themselves. It really comes down to relationships. So I'm excited about our future. Got a few more gray hairs than uh, when we first met, but um, I hope that I earned them. So. <laughs> Well, my genetics are keeping them down low on my side, but that's, that's just pure genetics. Well, you've earned every one of them. We've been talking today with the mayor of Westland, Michigan, William Bill Wild. 
giving us a great view of what's happening at the municipal level. Please consider subscribing to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge on your favorite podcast channel, Apple, Amazon, Buzzsprout, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Follow us on YouTube. Rate us. Please rate us high if you would. And of course, subscribe for free at richardhelpy.com. You can register there. Uh, you'll also find Mir's bio on the website, as well as access to past episodes of The Common Bridge. And so for today, this is Rich Helpy signing off on The Common Bridge. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast, recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.